Welcome to the Otherwise Podcast, Season 2. I'm your host, Casey Tigrip. I'm an author, pastor, and spiritual director. Today we talk about conversations. Conversations are interesting because they happen all the time. Sometimes we're a part of them, sometimes we watch them or witness them, and sometimes we actually actively engage with them. Conversations can happen anywhere. As a matter of fact, the introduction to this podcast is being recorded in the parking lot. I'm in my car in a parking lot of a business where I have a meeting in just a few minutes, but this is the time I had. Conversations happen, and conversations are also part of the redemptive work that followers of Jesus have in the world. Conversations are not easy, especially now in our divided social media culture. We need wisdom, we need intelligence, we need patience. As the writer Ursula K. Le Guin says, the living human community that language creates involves living human bodies. We need to talk together, speaker and hearer, here, now. We know that, we feel it, and we feel the absence of it. Speech connects us so immediately and vitally because it is a physical, bodily process to begin with. That is the beginning on the front page of the book by our guest C. Christopher Smith called How the Body of Christ Talks. Today we talk about conversation, talk about what conversation can do, we talk about how it is that we talk in a divided age, and what the goal of our conversation really should be. It's an intriguing conversation, ha ha ha, no pun intended, that we have with my good friend, C. Christopher Smith. So Chris, uh, you have the distinct pleasure, maybe, privilege of being the se- the first, second time guest on the Otherwise podcast. How does how does that feel to you today? Well, it's quite an honor. Um, <laughs> I appreciated that you wanted to wanted to have me back and I'm glad to glad to be back and glad to uh, uh, have this new book to talk about, uh, which wasn't wasn't out uh, last time, though we did talk a little bit about uh, some of the some of the ideas in this book. Yeah. Yeah, we did. And that's that's a wonderful thing about books that finally come to life. But uh, as I start every time, every conversation to talk about wisdom on the podcast, uh, and since you've already done this once, this is going to be so, we were talking about this earlier, it would be so fascinating to compare what you said last time to what you said this time. But uh, for people who are listening, where does wisdom begin for you? Where would you start defining the word wisdom? Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of wisdom... Uh, is fundamentally rooted in paying attention, uh, paying attention to uh, what's going on around us, paying attention to the things that have gone before us. Uh, for this book, particularly, uh, I was I began the book, and kind of a central metaphor for the book is paying attention to the wisdom of our human bodies. Uh, in fact, that's actually a book that I found very very helpful. Another book uh, that I found very helpful in my research uh, was a book called The Wisdom of the Body uh, by a medical doctor by the name of Sherman Newland, I believe, N-U-L-A-N-D. Um, but um, it's fairly commonly accepted that humans are created in the image of God, uh, but particularly how, uh, how do us as human creatures uh, in God's image uh, reflect uh, the nature of God and what does that mean for us in how we live in the world? Uh, so our human bodies, particularly, um, the thing that stood out to me is the fact that our human bodies are conversational beings. 
they ex- we exist as a conversation of diverse parts. Uh, so a an elbow is nothing like an eye is nothing like a heel. Um, but yet all the parts of our body work together uh, in um, in systems and subsystems uh, in conversation for for the health and stability of the body. Uh, so it's not just that the parts of our bodies are just kind of idly chit-chatting together, uh, but they're having meaningful conversations about um, uh, how do we how do we navigate all the sorts of uh, forces, gravity, not least of which uh, is exerted on our body. Um, uh, so, so that uh, central metaphor, I think, uh, provides a lot of wisdom. So, so anyway, that's uh, I was I wanted to try to be particularly attentive uh, to uh, to the wisdom of my own human body and. Um, and, and to pay attention to what what do they sh- tell us about how how we are created uh, to live in the world uh, as creatures created in God's image. Yeah, and the wisdom the wisdom ideas that I hear there, some of them are about uh, what something is and what something isn't. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a there's a part of conversation. So the bo- the book is called uh, How the Body of Christ Talks. And there's a conversational, you can hear that, and people can hear that in your response. So much of that conversation is about understanding the limitations and the boundaries. Mm -hmm. And that's a self-reflective thing. That could be, well, here are the limitations and the boundaries. I think you're wrong. Well, that that could definitely be part of it. Mm -hmm. But it's more of the who am I, who are we, and how do we function together which I think is really important because I tend to think wisdom is the knowledge of how to live well. We pull that definition from Dallas Willard. And uh, if, the, if, that's what, if that's what wisdom is, then living well is not, as, is not only knowing who we are, but knowing who we're not and what we're mm-hmm. capable of and not capable of. Sure. Uh, I wonder, you spend so much of your work in the Inglewood Review of Books and in the work you've done in this book is about is about paying attention. You you said that, and I thought, well, that's that's Chris's life. Like reading is an act of paying attention. Sure, Conversation is an act of paying attention. This mm-hmm. this book, how the body of Christ talks, I tend to see books as a collation of a person's life and what they've lived up to that point. How how do you see this book as as sort of a combination or a collation or a uh, anthology of what you've done and, and what you've lived in for the period that you're sort of considering as you write? Sure. Yeah, that's, that's a great question. Uh, I mean, I do think in some senses uh, conversation has been probably the most important practice uh, for us, most most transformative, most life-giving uh, practice for us at Englewood Christian Church uh, here on the Near East Side of Indianapolis. Uh, and certainly, it's re- as you noted, it's reflected uh, in the work that I do every day with Englewood Review of Books, um, but, but it's also been reflected uh, in so Church. Um, yeah, I mean, I think, uh, so this is a book that uh, as I live uh, in the life of a conversational church uh, community uh, over the last 15 years or so, 15 plus years, 
Um, yeah, I, I think that that's what I've tried to capture, tried to uh, make sense of that uh, theologically, but also uh, practically. Uh, what does this mean uh, for for human for us as human beings, for us as uh, communities of humans? So, so yes, this is the book probably uh, that I've been wanting to write for probably over a decade. Um, and uh, have been kind of writing bits and pieces of this, uh, rolling over um, the theology of this in my mind, uh, and uh, and I'm excited uh, to get it out there and to uh, to share it with others and to encourage others with this. Yeah, you did. You did two things at the beginning of the book that you know me well enough to know I geeked out on completely, which is <laughs> you you intersected. Uh, physiology and theology. You you put those two. You crossed. You created a crossroads where the the nature of our bodies meets the uh, the nature of our theology and spirituality. Uh, so when we talk about you talked about conversational bodies that are. Our bodies, our physical bodies, are actually in conversation with each other. That's how we function. Mm-hmm. Uh, but is there, when you bring that into theology, is there something distinctly Christian about conversation? What, what is it that's distinct between, you know, the intersection of any random person's body and some understanding of God? And is there a distinctly Christian way of doing this conversation that you're talking about? Yes and no. <laughs> I mean, I think uh, with so many things, uh, it's... Uh, I mean, both, both, not uh, both and uh, not either or. Um, I think there's a distinctively way, Christian way of looking at this um, uh, because uh, because of who we, the Christian understanding of who we, who we understand God to be, particularly God as Trinity, uh, but also in the Christian tradition, we believe that, I mean, God is creator of, of all creation and all humanity. Uh, and so I think a lot of the wisdom uh, of conversation uh, that I introduce in this book uh, is certainly applicable in a lot of other contexts that are not distinctively Christian um, uh, because it's reflective of he, who, I believe we were created to be as humans. We were created to be in conversation, and that's that's true for all all humanity. Um, and uh, just as healthy human bodies are bodies whose parts are in conversation with other healthy healthy social bodies, um, workplaces, neighborhoods, uh, schools um, are ones uh, that are have a healthy capacity for. Uh, talking together and working through uh, difficult issues. Uh, but we have to kind of go back to the yes part of that question. Um, I, I think uh, part of what is distinctively Christian about this is the nature of God as Trinity, uh, God God as uh, both three and one, three, particularly been attracted uh, by uh, the notion of social Trinitarianism um, that uh, basically says that God exists as conversation uh, uh, and uh, exists by um, indwelling, the persons of God indwell one another. Uh, and in some senses, 
uh, even our human bodies reflect this. A hand uh, is not uh, necessarily just a hand. Uh, uh, I mean, we talk about it as a hand, we're able to see it as a hand, but there are many uh, parts even within just the hand uh, that are uh, intertwined with each other and cannot exist uh, without each other. Uh, uh, any particular muscle, say, in that hand is, uh, is futile uh, without all the other parts that make up the hand. And even the hand uh, is kind of futile without uh, the whole of the body. Um, and so I think that's um, one of the things that's particularly distinctive, uh, distinctively Christian about uh, the way that I approach um, approach conversation uh, that we were the the Christian uh, view of God uh, is of a God that is in conversation and in conversation with with humanity I think all a lot of our theological questions about free will and so forth um, flow out of uh, a sense of God's desire to be in conversation with humanity to to collaborate uh, with God's creatures um, uh, and uh, and out of love uh, to to offer us uh, free will uh, even if we're going to uh, royally screw things up as we have in, in many instances throughout uh, throughout uh, history yeah. um, but uh, but the the biblical vision of God's creation is one in which God desires to be in relationship, in conversation uh, with humanity. Um, and God makes provisions for humanity to uh, be in conversation um, uh, with, with one another. Yeah. The scriptural story, kind of as we highlight in Slow Church, uh, the scriptural story uh, is the fundamental kind of human unit in the scriptural story is the people of God. Uh, ancient Israel and the Old Testament, and then the church grafted onto the olive tree of Israel, as Paul says in Romans 11, I believe. Um, uh, so, so, I mean, we, the scriptural story through and through is a story of humanity created to, to be social beings. Uh, and how are we social beings? We are social beings by, by being in conversation with one another. Yeah. And so when you, when you, yeah, when, and with God, when you talk about conversation, uh, the the thought comes to mind, and I, I would imagine that someone listening might hear this the same way. Uh, they say, yeah, I, I'm a conversational person. I, t- I talk to people all the time. <laughs> and there's the, what the book does and what I think is really important is it challenges the idea that just talking to each other, it, it isn't just about words. And so there's a, there's a character aspect to it. And when we talk about character, we're always talking about who we're becoming and who we really are deep down. There are, you talk about practices that help us be these conversational bodies in a way that's healthy because you tackle the Trinity in a chapter, which by the way, (laughs) way to go. Um, I, I really... In fact, an earlier draft of the book had a lot more 
uh, a lot longer and a lot more detailed explore- exploration. But but um, how many people have written? Most people would get lost in that uh, too early in the book and give up on the book. So sure, I, I mean I whole books, <laughs> whole books have been written on the Trinity, and so I was like, well, all right, here we go. But it takes we take it from that that belief into the actual practice of. And, and you've talked about it. this is a very practical book. So you've ta- you talked about you're not going to write a how-to book earlier, which I appreciated, but you've given a very practical book. So we talk about conversation. We're talking about uh, what we believe, but also about character. And I think wisdom always lives in that space of mm-hmm. what do you believe and what are you going to do with it? Uh, but there are practices that make us ready for this healthy conversation. Talk about the practices a bit and specifically how those you've seen those play out in your own life or your community's life. Sure. I mean, while we're talking about practices, I mean, I really want to emphasize uh, that part of what I'm trying to do in this book is to describe conversation itself as a practice. Um, uh, in I was particularly uh, Richard Foster's uh, book Celebration of Discipline uh, has been really important for me as it has for many folks, um, but particularly kind of the the last third of those books uh, where he talks about um, corporate uh, disciplines disciplines that are uh, shared congregationally, uh, particularly worship is one of the most. Uh, distinctive of those and one of the most familiar uh, sorts of corporate disciplines that he talks about in that third part of his book. Um, But uh, so I was really trying to uh, describe conversation uh, in, in that way, in the, that tradition of uh, corporate spiritual practices. Being said, the middle part of the book addresses three practices um, that I think will help to orient us and drive us deeper uh, into the practice of conversation. Um, and I think that was what uh, I assume you were referring to. Um, the first of those is uh, prayer, uh, which of course is probably the most uh, traditional and most familiar of the practices that I talk about. Uh, just this mindset that uh, even as we're talking with other human beings, uh, particularly in our church communities, um, we need to be mindful. And even as we're talking with family members, neighbors, coworkers um, in a workplace that may be uh, not, not a church, um, uh, God is always present with us. Uh, and uh, to be prayerful is to be attentive uh, to God's presence with us. And I think too often when we have conversations in 2019, uh, particularly with people who come from different backgrounds, different perspectives than we do, we're not mindful enough of God's presence with us um, because uh, whoever we're talking to is a person created in God's image. Uh, and to, uh, uh, to defile that person uh, is to, uh, in some sense, uh, defile uh, the creator um, so, uh, so prayer, um, being mindful of God's presence with us, uh, the second of the three practices that I talk about, um, is, uh, learning to abide in messiness. Um, and again, uh, this may be a, not quite as familiar ground in terms of spiritual practices as prayer might be, uh, but I think it's really important, yeah. uh, so much of conversation, uh, 
uh, is learning to live uh, in gray areas, learning to live, even as I answered your question about uh, the truth uh, about the Christian tradition, uh, uh, it's learning to live in both ends, uh, not either ors, um, as we've kind of been formed to do by, by the modern Western age. Um, but, uh, uh, and uh, also kind of being mindful of how elusive uh, certainty is, um, that, and again, I'm not, I'm not a relativist. I mean, I think that there is, there is a reality, there is a truth, um, but I am an epistemological skeptic uh, that I, I have significant questions about our ability uh, to fully know uh, what, what is true, what is real in any given situation. Yeah. But so I think to, I, to I think break, the, break okay. that down a bit. So a relativist would be there, there is no absolute truth. No, it's, it's all perspective. It's all opinion. Right. Um, uh, but, uh, so I'm not, I'm not that I believe that there is a reality, but I'm skeptical about, uh, our ability to fully know and understand that reality. I think, especially as individuals, as uh, single uh, uh, people, uh, as a single person, uh, as, as one person, I'm not, I'm not talking about marriage, uh, single, right, right. married there, but, uh, but as one person, I'm really skeptical about how fully we can know and understand uh, truth and reality. I'm more, uh, uh, I feel more comfortable, I have a greater confidence, as it were, to borrow Leslie Newbigin's uh, way of talking about it uh, when we come together um, and uh, seek to know and to understand together in communities with other human beings uh, that help us that bring varieties of perspectives uh, and are able to uh, uh, more fully uh, know and understand together and so that's kind of the the part of the vision that I'm encouraging us into is to to develop the the capacity to talk together and to learn together and to discern together what is what is the nature of of God as truth and what is the nature of um, the true nature of uh, how we were created as as human beings and how do we how do we continue to live and grow in that so those are the first two and then the third of the three practices and this is one uh, and you're probably more familiar with the literature than I am uh, but I don't really hear anybody talking about this as as a spiritual practice of any sort, uh, and that is the practice of preparation. Uh, mm-hmm. Certainly, maybe there was a little bit of that. Actually, one of the few kind of references to it I found was actually um, going back to Richard Foster's uh, celebration of discipline and how he talks in the worship chapter about preparing ourselves uh, for worship, and he goes into some pretty great detail and pretty imaginative uh, in the ways that he describes it, um, but. But preparation, I think, has been really important for us at Englewood. Uh, uh, as we've had conversations over the last 25 years or so, uh, because it turns consumerism on its head. I mean, we're so uh, formed uh, by the consumerist culture that we live within, uh, we don't even realize how deeply we've been formed by that. Um, so consumerism basically is the mentality of um, uh, what's in it for me, uh, what what can I consume uh, as an individual? Um, uh, and so preparation kind of turns that on its head. And instead of asking the question, uh, what, what's in it for me? What can I consume? Uh, how will this benefit me? Uh, preparation turns that on its head and says, what do I have to offer? How can I be prepared to contribute to uh, whatever conversation um, uh, I'm going into? Um, and 
and how do how am I uniquely gifted? How can I use the gifts and talents that I have uh, to prepare in a way that I can make a, a significant or a distinctive um, contribution to to whatever particular conversation we're having? And that'll be different for different people, of course, yeah. uh, because yeah. people have different gifts and different talents and uh, and different things that they struggle with uh, that they might not draw upon. Um, so, so preparation uh, is the kind of third of those three practices uh, that I think will help to uh, help us to more richly and more wisely uh, practice practice conversation. Yeah. So I'm going to put put it to the test a little bit because sure. I hear <laughs> I hear in this the practices are fantastic and the preparation and the, just the way they've detailed them. So the question I would put to you is given. I put to you, that sounds like a very violent concept. I'm, I'm going to present this to you. Let's do this more gently. Offer to you. Yes, I will offer this question. Do you believe, uh, and if so, how, is this kind of conversation that you're talking about? Because you're descri- like you said, you're describing a way, a practice mm-hmm. of, of talking. Spirituality of conversation in some sense. It's, I mean, it's yeah. not very fully uh, fleshed out, uh, but but I do want to offer some kind of basic... Uh, building blocks, as it were, of a, a spirituality that's conducive to the practice of conversation. So with that in mind, what is the possibility of real conversation in the world of social media? Because that's where <laughs> you have a whole chapter about conflict. Sure. And I, I think 90% of the conflict, other than not talking politics over Easter dinner or, you know, with your neighbor with the particular sticker on his car, right. uh, a lot of it's a lot of the conflict in conversation that's not specifically theological, but some of it is, is happening on much bigger scales with much fewer relationships. So talk about that a bit. How what is the possibility of this kind of conversation taking place in a social media? Yeah, world? I'm not very uh, confident that uh, we can have uh, meaningful conversations uh, with people that we don't know, don't already know, and don't have a um, uh, uh, an embodied relationship with, um, I'm really skeptical about, I think there's a, a distinct limit on how far our conversations can go or how fruitful our conversations will be uh, without um, also uh, having conversations uh, face-to-face. Um, I mean, I think part of the way that I talk about conversation, you kind of alluded to this earlier. I mean, conversation is uh, fundamentally, uh, I think you said uh, conversation is more than the words that we say, uh, which is I would absolutely agree with. Uh, but even more than that, conversation is about the ways in which we are present uh, to one another. Um, and I think that's uh, precisely what is missing in most social media conversations is, is the physical presence um, the, the all the sorts of nonverbal communications and emotions that uh, are not uh, completely fully able to be expressed, uh, even with things like emojis, um, that do actually provide a little bit more of that context uh, than just words. So, with both, so you and I both use social media extensively pretty pretty extensively yeah yeah uh what is then the role because i I, because i believe that but i also find myself wanting to begin conversations 
Because there's once you take that part out, social media really only becomes a one-sided way of revealing yourself to people you don't know right. or promoting something. Sure. sure. So is sure. is there a level of conversation that's that's possible? And the only reason I ask that is because there it back to our both and conversation. I'm wondering if there is a or either or versus both and is there a way that these practices prepare us to have healthier versions of conversation in social media. Oh yeah. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I would totally agree with that. I mean, I think, I mean, first of all, social media, uh, while for all its limitations that I've described, I mean, is, can be a helpful way of extending, um, are embodied conversations with people. Um, if somebody is away on a trip or somebody that for whatever reason has used to be our neighbor and has moved away, um, social media can be a way of continuing those sorts of conversations, uh, kind of, again, being a both and, um, uh, that it's not, uh, just, uh, kind of face to face or, um, uh, virtual, uh, but, uh, but a combination of the two. The other thing is that, uh, not all online technologies are created equal. Um, and I think, uh, so we're recording, uh, this, uh, podcast, uh, on zoom and we can see each other, uh, face to face. And I can see that you've got a little bit of a smile on your face right now. Um, and, uh, and I think that's, that's a much better way of talking um than uh and certainly you can hear my voice and you can hear um the the inflections and so forth uh and a lot of uh, which allows for a lot more nuance uh than we would have if we were just kind of typing back and forth uh at each other um so i think i mean that's part of the equation too uh, that look uh looks for opportunities uh, to to use technologies in a way uh, that we can more fully, uh, more, more bodily be engaged uh, with uh, one another uh, uh, through through the internet. Um, I think that uh, I think that has to be part of our calculus of making uh, discernments um, that it's not just kind of internet bad, <laughs> face-to-face good, <laughs> uh, but, but how, do we, how do we create spaces uh, where we can have um, Zoom conversations or FaceTime conversations or whatever, whatever the, the platform is, uh, but where we can have conversations where it's more than just kind of uh, typing, uh, typing back and forth at each other. Yeah. Which is, leads to something that I feel like is really important. And that, and that is, as much of this, a lot of what we've talked about so far is understanding the inter the interaction between us as we talk. There's the face-to-face aspects. There's the character aspects. There's the pre- preparation and practice aspects. But the the piece of knowing the other person, uh, you t- a lot of the research you cite early on in the book also talks about this this big human desire to know and to be known, mm-hmm. and what is it that helps us most 
as we prepare for these conversations to really know the people we're in conversation with. Uh, what what are the steps that because I know that somebody's listening and they're like I, I have a person that I have to or get to depending on how they feel about it today uh, talk to and communicate with and I want to understand them but I I'm struggling to see where they where they're coming from how would you how would you guide them into that knowing the other person in the conversation sure I mean I think. I think one key facet of it, and again, it's different in different contexts, uh, and it requires it requires a lot of wisdom of of how to navigate that, of what uh, things kind of shut down particular conversations with particular people, um, and you may just have to avoid certain things for a while. Um, but I think one thing that's been helpful is is stories of um, uh, asking asking. T- for this person in the scenario you described uh, to, to tell a story about something. And I think that we learn, we learn a lot. I mean, particularly when we tell stories about our own, our own personal experiences. Um, uh, and when we do that face to face, or maybe in a, at least in an internet uh, medium uh, where we can actually uh, see and hear uh, each other, that all the sorts of emotions, um, that uh, uh, we can't help but um, but release as we're telling telling a particular story about um, uh, some situation in which in which we found ourselves. Um, uh, and again, obviously, the the sort of what type of story uh, would vary on upon the situation and the person and what what you're trying to to, to know and understand but I, but I think stories are are really important um, and, and to really under try to understand um, I mean uh, why I mean if we if we disagree with somebody uh, really trying to uh, to understand his or her perspective um, trying to understand to the best that to the best of our capability, which may not often be possible. And sometimes there are things that we've experienced that uh, we're not ready to talk with others about, or we just, we just don't, don't know how to do that. Um, uh, and, and don't feel safe or don't feel ready uh, to do that. And that's, that just may have to be as it is. I think part of knowing and being known is, um, I mean, goes deeper than just kind of the various convictions we may have about about God or how how we should live, um, but uh, goes deeper to why why we think um, uh, why we hold those convictions and and those sorts of whys come out start to come out a little bit uh, in in the stories we tell uh, uh, from from our experience. Yeah. Yeah, I've noticed that uh, so many of the people that I know or have come into contact with who are in some sort of peacemaking mm-hmm. work, so whether they do reconciliation with communities or individuals, they operate so heavily on stories. Mm-hmm. I was even listening to a podcast this morning with uh, Padre Gotuma, who's yes. been a guest, and he's, he was talking about his work uh, in Corimila in his community in Ireland and, and how much of their... Uh, best work happens just by people telling stories. 
and giving some uh, space for people to access who they are through that and and people listening to that. So you mentioned that earlier, that posture of being present mm-hmm. and listening and being open to that. And and I think we we know these things. Like we know that we know that if I don't pay attention to you, if I'm you're talking and I'm just sitting here thinking about what I want to say right. next, uh, then nothing productive is really going to come. We know that, I, but I think it's the same thing as we know that would be good, but how much does it cost? It's like the the musical Hamilton. Like I know I should probably go see it at some point, but man, is it expensive. Yeah. Uh, so there's that aspect of it too. How do you feel like what you've created and what you've collected in this book will help people to push past that? I really should. To here's here's how I'm going. Basically, what's the gift you hope this book gives to people who read it? That's a great question. Um, I mean. Ultimately, I think what I'm inviting people into uh, is a way of being human as we were created to be human. I mean, I think part of just kind of the cultural backdrop of the 21st century, uh, certainly on one very briefly, is that we don't we don't know how to talk together. But the reason for that is actually probably a long history of of fragmentations of things, things falling apart, um, communities falling apart, um, uh, places falling apart, uh, all the families falling apart. I mean, all the sorts of social fabric that held societies together uh, in previous centuries uh, are unraveling at best, if not completely unraveled (laughs) here in the 21st century. And so um, how do we begin? What I hoped to offer in this book uh, is is a way to begin to step back into that, uh, to start to reweave some of that social fabric. Um, And I, I think it happens in conversation. And I think, as I've already alluded, it's messy, it's slow. Um, but but it's the life uh, for which we are created. It's uh, the life of God that is is revealed as best we understand it in God's nature, the nature of God. Um, and uh, so so what I'm inviting people into and in inviting us into practices of conversation is uh, a journey into. Uh, into the life uh, for which we were created, the the very social, relational, conversational life uh, for which we were created. That's beautiful, man. That's so good, and it's such a such a needed thing right now. Um, I've I keep hearing people talking about their interactions and how difficult it is to just talk to people. Sure. And uh, I, I'm glad we have a tool and a resource, and I'm glad you've bled into this and lived it out in Inglewood uh, so, that, so that people can have w- exactly what you're talking about, a conversation that reflects the nature of God in each one of us. And I think my, my research uh, was um, that, I mean, it's not uh, just us here at Inglewood. There are uh, churches and other places uh, that are creating spaces for learning to have conversations 
uh, together. That was, I wrote a piece for Christianity Today that ran on the website last week, uh, telling the story of four, four of these churches uh, that uh, have uh, various practices of conversation. They've kind of stumbled into those practices um, in different ways, and they use uh, conversation um, a little bit differently, conversation to work through divisive issues, conversation uh, as a way of formation, um, conversation as a way of discerning a future. Um, uh, so, uh, so there's a lot of ways that uh, congregations are uh, starting uh, to uh, to enter these waters and are are really, I believe, being being transformed uh, as they uh, increase in their capacity to talk with one another. Yeah, yeah, and to talk with their neighbors as well. It's never, it's never. I, I really focus on kind of kind conversation within the life of the church community, but, but it's always, it's never, that's never an end in itself. It's always, um, that we might, we practice conversation with one another in order that we might, uh, have, uh, important, meaningful, transformative conversations, uh, in our homes and our workplaces and our neighborhoods, uh, in all the sorts of, uh, environments, uh, in which we find ourselves. Yeah. So I want to shift without a clutch a little bit here, and because uh, I don't want to I'm walk, jerking forward already. Yes, yeah, so I don't want to walk away from the conversation without um, without tapping into your role as founding editor at the Inglewood Review of Books, and uh-huh. a lot of the listeners to the podcast are readers as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, is there specifically are there two books that are sp- front and center for you right now as far as your recommendations for people maybe on this topic but it doesn't have to be just it could be something that just came out that's that has piqued your interest or has captured your imagination yeah i mean that's a really good question (laughs) Uh, i think it's going to be hard to hard to keep it to two uh but um i mean certainly i mean uh, I know that you and I have talked about this before, and maybe we talked about it last time I was on the podcast. I don't, I don't recall, but uh, certainly uh, Willie Jennings' work has been really important for me. A black uh, theologian who was at Duke Divinity School for many years and now is at Yale uh, Divinity School. Uh, but I think, particularly, his commentary on Acts, uh, which is a little bit more accessible um, than some of his other work, um, but really what he does there, in some sense, and I hope that I'm. Uh, not, uh, I'm, I'm doing the book justice when I describe it this way, uh, but he describes the book of Acts as a series of conversations. Uh, and he looks at how difficult um, those conversations were and how vulnerable the early Christian community was uh, as it was having those conversations together, uh, particularly kind of the, the focal story in his reading of the book of Acts is the story of Peter in the house of Cornelius. Um, and how Peter uh, really is pinned uh, between, uh, as Jennings would say, the word of God uh, that he inherited uh, in the Israelite tradition 
uh, and the word of God that it was continuing to transform the people of God and that desired uh, desired the reconciliation of all people and all things. Um, and so Peter, here Peter sits uh, in the house of Cornelius um, faced with, uh, I mean, does he eat the food that's set before him uh, and kind of break with the tradition that he's inherited, which of course we know that he does. Uh, but then also, uh, I mean, how does he articulate his, he has to go back to the, the community of believers in Jerusalem and he has to explain to them, he has to articulate uh, why he did what he did and how it, in some senses, it is still consistent with with the tradition that they've inherited, even though kind of the, he's broken the letter of the law, he hasn't broken the spirit of the law. And I think that type of conversation is precisely what we need. Um, we need to be attentive to to the wisdom and the tradition that we've inherited. We can't just chuck that out the window. And that's part of the, the frustration that I have with a lot of more progressive uh, Christians uh, is that there can be a tendency to, to just chuck out um, a, evangelicalism or all the sorts of a lot of the sorts of traditions that we've inherited uh, as the church um uh, but but at the same time uh we can't just kind of rigidly adhere to tradition um but instead uh we need to uh, realize that god is wanting to continue to transform us and to transform our understandings of the traditions that we've inherited uh, in the people of God. Um, yeah. and so like Peter, we sit in a vulnerable place always. Uh, uh, and when we come to talk together, we're always in that vulnerable space between the word of God and the word of God. Um, and, uh, and we don't want to, we've been formed not to want to be in that place. Uh, we, we've been formed in a place that we want to have certainty and we want to, um, be able to, uh, make, uh, bold pronouncements. Uh, but that's not, that's not our human situation. And I appreciate the way Jennings calls that out and the ways that he reads all the various sorts of conversations, uh, conversations about food, about circumcision, uh, these, these tensions between Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians uh, that play out in the book of Acts and throughout the rest of the New Testament, honestly. Um, but uh, so that's a really important one. Um, I think uh, uh, perhaps... Uh, another book, I'm, I'm trying to uh, narrow down possibilities rapidly in my head. Uh, well, it's not as if you don't read, you know, several hundred on a regular well, basis. Well, so. well, I, I read a lot less than most people think I do, honestly. I, mean, I, read, I read bits and pieces of a lot of books. Sure. Uh, books cover to cover is a lot less. I mean, I think maybe uh, sticking with books in the Christian tradition, I think... Henri Nouwen's, uh a book that was co-written with uh, Donald McNeil and somebody else that I'm uh, drawing a blank on. Uh, his last uh, name is last name is Morrison. Yep, that's right, Douglas Morrison, I believe, was his first name. Uh, the book called Compassion. I mean, because I think fundamentally, uh, compassion uh, is is about learning to be be in conversation well. Uh, it's about uh, learning. Uh, learning empathy, learning to enter into the struggles of those around us. Uh, compassion from the Latin roots meaning suffering with. And I think conversation practice well will be conversation that leads us uh, deeper into uh, being compassionate people, being compassionate communities, uh, communities that are attentive uh, to 
of our own wounds, uh, but also to the wounds of our neighbors and the wounds of the stranger that God may bring to us uh, from from somewhere else. And I think I think there's a lot of wisdom in that book, a lot of practical wisdom um, about patience. There's some wonderful sections, uh, chapters, or maybe even multiple chapters on patience. Uh, and I think that's a really rich well of wisdom and certainly drew on that a lot um, in thinking about the spirit, a spirituality uh, that would uh, uh, guide us into practices of conversation. Yeah. So, so yeah, I think, like I said, there's a lot more. There's a lot of uh, research out there, uh, kind of mainstream business world research on how to have conversations. Um, and, I, and some of that uh, is kind of uh, referenced directly or footnoted uh, in the book. Uh, some wonderful resources on facilitating conversations um, that I think it would be helpful for people uh, to pay attention to as um, we have conversations together. Some wonderful uh, methods of conversation. Uh, I have a chapter in the book that kind of addresses three of those that have been particularly helpful for us uh, having conversations, uh, certain types of conversations here at Englewood. Uh, so, so there's a lot of really good stuff out there, um, but I've hoped that I've been able to uh, to uh, draw upon uh, the, some of the wisdom of others that have uh, been journeying on this road in some context or another for a long time Yeah, uh, in my book. I believe you have. Thanks, well, thank for the, you. thanks for the gift of the book, man. I appreciate it. And thank you for having me on the podcast. You bet. Again. Absolutely. <laughs> again. One more, maybe we'll do it again in another year and a half or so and see if he still When my next book comes out, which I yeah. hope for another five or 10 years. Yeah, get busy on that. <laughs> Peace, friend. Thanks, Casey. C. Christopher Smith is a longtime member of the Englewood Christian Church on the urban near east side of Indianapolis, Indiana. He's the founding editor of the Englewood Review of Books and an acclaimed author of books such as Slow Church. His newest book is How the Body of Christ Talks, Recovering the Practice of Conversation in the Church. You can find links where that book can be purchased in the show notes. Also, my book, As I Recall, Discovering the Place of Memories in Our Spiritual Life, is currently available. I'd love for you to pick up a copy. Thank you for listening to the podcast. If you're streaming via my website, thank you for listening. If you subscribe via iTunes, thank you for that as well. If you wouldn't mind rating or reviewing the podcast, that would be fantastic. So, hope you enjoyed the conversation. Until next time. Be well, live wisely, peace friends.